Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Jesus, we believe that you are you are high and exalted, that you are the one who has defeated death and brought life. Lord, we thank you for being able to just say that in such powerful ways through worship. Lord, to see changed life this morning through baptism. Lord, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would reveal more of yourself to, who, to us, that we might live in your ways and honor you and glorify you increasingly with our lives. So Jesus, we thank you. We pray you'd have your way. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you turn with me to Mark 5, 1 through 20, if you have a Bible, if not, there's one in front of you or it'll be on the screens. But this morning, as we, as we look at this text, we're kind of making our way through Mark, and um, we're making it slow because we keep having these cool Sundays, like 16 people getting baptized and mission stuff, and, and so uh, we'll just keep going. We'll, we'll get through it in about three years, and it'll be good. Um, so <clears throat> as, we, as we think about this text this morning, maybe one of the things that perspective is important. Um, right perspective and how you see things rightly and if you don't have the right perspective you, you won't see situations right and the best way I can think about this is I'm a dad and so I'm going to think about this like a dad and the, the way it works is like this you tell your children not to do something right and they look at you and they go you are a horrible individual why would you not let me eat a gallon of ice cream like you're you're, you're a whore. Why would you make me go to bed at 8 o'clock? Everybody else in town goes to bed at 10 o'clock, Dad. You know, they're like six, right? They're saying this. This girl and this girl do this. And, and they, they, you're, you're, you're horrible. You're mean, right? That's the idea of a kid. But a parent knows that they have better perspective, right? We have a better perspective because we've lived a little bit of life. We know who you are. We know your issues. We know that you need an excessive amount of sleep to even kind of be nice to your siblings and other things like that, that you easily get sick when you eat this or that. There's a perspective to see things rightly. And, and the same thing when we, when we look at this text this morning, um, there's a perspective that we need to see, and it's really important because this text is about demons, and it's about the occult, it's about the supernatural, it's about the evil work in this world. And I'll say this about this perspective. This text is not about demons. Demons are never the ultimate thing. The evil forces are never the ultimate thing. This text is about Jesus. And the text is about Jesus and how he is powerful, how he is God, and he is able to destroy the most evil things in this world. And so when we read this text, it's really important that we don't overemphasize the demonic or the evil forces in this world, even though they are very real. C.S. Lewis said it like this about it. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or about demons or about the evil forces. One is to d disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So there's two errors. One would be to disregard the evil forces in the evil realm altogether and say it doesn't exist. That would be a dangerous, a dangerous conclusion to come to. And the other would be to obsess in it, to the place where there's a demon around every corner, 
on every shoulder, and, and all of a sudden that becomes our focus rather than Christ. And so I, I say that kind of as a, as a warning for us all as we look at this text. Let's not make this about what it's not. This is about Jesus, and this is about his power and his deity. And so the other thing I would say in this too, to kind of front matter, is I have, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you a little bit of my experience. In college, I went to, went to a college uh, for my undergraduate at Wayne State College, not in Detroit, Nebraska, the one nobody knows about. And nobody really knows about the one in Detroit either, but I went to the lesser one. Um, I, it was in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. Um, on, the, on, on the wrong day, if the wind was blowing, you smelled the cattle yard right next to campus. And, <clears throat> but we had a very active and alive um, group of people that worshiped Satan, that followed the evil forces of this world in a very real and destructive way. I personally, <clears throat> there was a young lady who we began to share the gospel with and be befriended. And she was a part of this group. She tried to commit suicide three times. Um, she, she was forced into things that were unthinkable with her life. And every person that was involved with that deeply injured and hurt themselves on all kinds of levels. And my experience as a pastor have been is when people engage in the occult and supernatural, what happens, this is my experience, what happens is self-harm, what happens is uh, a confusion of sexuality, and what happens is, is, is the deepest level of harms that, that I have ever seen happen to any individual. And so from my experience, I will tell you this, the occult and supernatural are very real things. Demonic forces are very real things, even in our plastic sanitized culture that we live in. Sometimes we just don't see it because maybe it's become normalized or, or maybe because we live kind of isolated lives with our garage door drawbridges and the moats of our backyard fences around our house that we don't necessarily see the world maybe as they would have in these biblical times because they would have been such a communal society. But I say that that I do believe very much, and the scripture teaches, that these evil forces are very real in our world. So let's read together Mark 5, 1 through 20. And as we read this text, it's lengthy. And so hear the story, um, because it is a story. And to set the context, let's not forget what's happened. Jesus was teaching in a boat beside beside the, the sea, and as he was teaching in this boat, kind of a platform, a pulpit, he was teaching about the power of the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God, how it's alive and it's active. And now Mark will choose to kind of take these sections after that teaching, and what he'll do is he'll, he'll say that Jesus just didn't proclaim these things. We saw it. It happened. This was a very real thing in Jesus' life. He So he's alive and active, and then he goes out into the sea, and what happens? The winds and the waves, they crash on it. Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. Hallelujah. Jesus is taking naps. It's proof that you can. And so Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. And, and then the, the winds and the waves, they crash and they come along. And Jesus stands up and he silences the wind and the waves. And in that silence, he shows that he is powerful over all creation. And then he'll, now when we find ourselves this next thing, so they dock the boat at the sea and they walk off. And Jesus is instantly here. And that what we'll see happens. Instantly this happens. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. 
And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, notice this is always John's language. It's just Jesus' life, boom, 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 boom. Immediately, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, a demonic force. You know, in the old translation, I think in the King James, it says a devil. He left He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, now, this man, obviously, he's been tormented and brutalized. He's a, and let's not, I think there's a really important thing as we read this text. There's almost, we should have a feeling of compassion. What a poor and pitiful life. Living among the tombs, alone, cutting, hurting yourself. In verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? And notice, he recognizes the deity of Jesus. Jesus. Right? Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. A recognition of who Jesus was, a recognition of his power. For he was saying to him, come out. So Jesus now speaking to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, notice this, that in, as we read this, this is important, that Jesus, I mean, at, at, Jesus could have dropped the guy dead. He could have done anything he wanted at the moment. He said it, but there's a pro- progression here, and Jesus is always being articulate, always teaching, and so it's part of the interpretation of this. Why? Why Why didn't Jesus do it immediately? Let's read. So come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Notice here he's going to say, I'm going to reveal. There's a teaching. He's going to reveal to the people who this man really was. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion would have been about six, a legion of of a Roman army would have been about 6,000 soldiers, about 120 technical forces and horsemen around them. So what what it's saying here is another way I I would interpret this saying, this is a large number of demons. So this wasn't just a man possessed by a demon. This is a man that was tormented by many, many demons. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. How a great, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Now notice he gave them permission. This is important. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000. Just so you know, that's a lot of hogs, right? 2,000. They rushed down to the steep bank into the, <clears throat> into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it is that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there. This is a great, makes me tear up. This is it. Clothed and in his right mind. I think that if you highlight anything, clothed and in his right mind. This is what Jesus does. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And, we, and he went away to proclaim it in the Decapolis, about, that would be about 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. It's a cool text because, one, we see a man that's brutalized, we see him clothed in his right mind, and we see him sent as a missionary to now go and tell those what Jesus had done. So in the text, the, the first thing that we see, and really one and two are a bit of setup verses, and then, then three through ten, we see kind of this, uh, the, the story begins of this tortured man. But the prime point of verses three through ten is this, Jesus is God. Keeping our perspective, this is not about a demon, this is not about a possessed man, this is about Jesus, and the point of this at this point is Jesus is God. And so it says in the text that the, that, that the man was demonized, that he was, he was sad and a pitiful man, he was, he, he was and others were, had, had witnessed this of him, and he had witnessed it so much that he was cast away, he was tortured, he lived in the tombs, he had an unclean spirit, night and day he was crying. Emotionally, this man was broken, and he was tortured, cutting himself. He was destroying the very image of God. And this is one of the key factors of demonic forces and demon possession, would be that self-inflicting harm, that each and every one of us in this room, and everyone, every man, woman, and child that God ever made, has made what we'd see in Genesis in the Imagio Dei, in the image of God. We are all image bearers, and what this man was doing was cutting and hurting and destroying the very image of God, the one that God had made. He was attacking that innate value and dignity that every person and human being possesses. So he's destroying the image of God. He was strong. No one could bind him anymore. There was a superhuman strength about this man. Not even with a chain. Often bound, he broke the chains. No one had the strength to subdue him. Go, work, go, go talk to anyone who's ever worked in a mental institution, and they'll tell you about people that have these kind of superhuman strengths. This isn't something crazy. This is something actually normative in the world in which we live. And so this man had this, this strength, and he was feared. People did not want to be around him, and he was alone and maybe some, one of the saddest places on the, plan, on the planet, amongst the tombs. He lived where, where no one lived but the dead. And so in this to say demons are real, and people that are possessed are not always, but can be found in this condition. And so to say that every person who has ever been possessed by a demon looks just like this man, that's not true. Demon, this, this can take on all kinds of forms and fashion. He is crafty and cunning and slippery and slimy and any other word you want to say that the evil one is and the evil forces are. But this is a way in which. And so this is, the key of it, though, is that the, the demonic forces are trying to distract and distort a man or woman from God to worship, worship the evil forces rather than the one they were created by. They truly overpower. And so then what happens? The, the demon confronts Jesus. And as he confronts Jesus, he says, what do you have to do with me? And then he says the name Jesus, son of the most high God. There was a recognition that Jesus was something else, that Jesus was the son of God. There was a, there was a confession of, of belief. 
Now, there wasn't a confession of faith like we saw today. We saw two confessions of faith and entrusting, but there was a confession of belief. And I'll say this, that it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Even James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and shudder. And we see that James 2.19 actually happening in this text. There's a demon believing and shuddering in the presence of Jesus. And so then Jesus addresses him and says, come out, unclean spirit. And then he says, what is your name? And so Jesus is now kind of drawing out here for, for all to see his power and his ability. And Jesus obviously knew that this man was possessed. Jesus knows all. He, he knew this man was possessed by multiple demons. He says, legion, again, this man who was multiple, multiple. And so the point of this and one of the things when we look at this text is just so we're all really clear, without Christ, we are more like this man named, named Legion than we know. Without Christ, we are, we are worshipers of self and we are rebels from God. Without Christ, we are tortured by our sin and our conscience. Without Christ... We, are, we think we are strong, but we are very weak. And this man, obviously, even though he had some sort of strength, was a pitiful, weak man. And we are, without Christ, alone and helpless, just like this man. And although we see this clear picture of a man to be pitied, without Christ, we are more like him than we know. But again, the point of this text is not the power of a demon. It is the deity of Jesus Christ. It is that Jesus is God. Demons don't have to contemplate when they see Jesus. They recognize him and fear and bow down, and so should we. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of, to, to give all glory and honor forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus is a real force, and he is stronger than the evil forces of this world. And so in this instance, what Jesus is going to show is that, he, that, that I am God. Now, this was something at this point in his ministry that in many ways was veiled. But the demonic forces, this evil man, he, he reveals this. And I'll say this kind of as we talk about it, that one, even you've heard me say demon probably more times today, than you've heard it said in the last five years of your life. Because it's not something we talk about. It's something that we shove to the side and we push away and we try to act like it's reality. And I'll say this, that the word of God is true. It reveals the reality of this world. It gives us a proper perspective in understanding how to live and work in this world. And we have to make a decision with our life whether the, the word of God will define what reality is or whether our culture will decide what reality is. And if in your mind today you're having tension with even the thought of demons and evil forces, I would say that it might be because our culture has crept in a little bit too much to explain things away rather than to embrace the reality of God's word being true. See, all kinds of people can hold this book up and say, this is the word of God and it's true. But each of us has to make a decision of which will be the barometer in which we see reality from. And the reality is, is demons are real. 
And the reality is, is that Jesus is God. And he is real. And he is more powerful than any evil force in this world. And so in this, we, we see first that Jesus is God. In verses 11 through 13, now we see that Jesus is powerful. And there's two miracles that happen in this text. And there's not just one miracle. There's two miracles. And so the first miracle is that Jesus cast the demons into 2,000 pigs. I mean, this is an astonishing thing. That Jesus has the power to give these permission for these demons to run and go somewhere. So the demons thought they had won a concession. They, they, they were begging him for something else. Don't torment us. Don't do this. But one thing they knew is they knew their defeat. They knew in the presence of Jesus that they could not win, that they had no power, and that's simply why he bowed down. So Jesus gave permission, and they entered the pigs. And what's really interesting about this is we don't really know who owned these pigs. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, like, who, who's this hog farmer of 2,000? You know. It could have been a Gentile who was profiting, selling these amongst Gentiles. I think it was a Jew, which is really interesting because what he was doing is something very unlawful for a Jew. And he was probably making money selling these to Gentile people. And what was happening in the Jewish culture and religion is happening in our life today is there's this form of syncretism. We take the world and money and the principles of getting by and getting ahead and we take our faith and we take our Christianity and we say, okay, somehow these things, I can just like mesh these things together. And I think, I think in this moment of, these, of this miracle of these kind of pigs being destroyed was one way, another way of Jesus pushing back at the heartless Judaism that had, was so prominent in that day. The religious emptiness of the Jewish people of the time of the Pharisees, and, the, and Jesus, over and over, he's going to be more harsh toward the religious phonies and the fakes than he is against anyone else. And so in this, there's first miracles, and it may have been a Gentile, it doesn't really matter. But the reality is, is this miracle is that Jesus allows these 2,000 pigs to go and fall to their death. I mean, this would have been an astonishing thing to observe. And so then the second miracle is that Jesus heals the man who was disfigured. Dramatically, this symbolizes Jesus' ability to destroy demons in human beings, that he is more powerful. He has the restoration of a demoniac, and the destruction of demons was more important than the pigs. And so the restoration of the, of, of, of the man, the, the man that was named Legion at the time, who's given a new name, the restoration of this man and the destruction of demons was more important than pigs or anything else. And so he took these animals and allowed them to be destroyed. Sorry for those animal lovers out there. This is true. We are more valuable than the living crawling things of this world. And in verse 15, it says about the man that he was, again, clothed and in his right mind. Jesus healed him. Jesus has the power to cleanse and the power to restore us and bring healing. Jesus is powerful. He redeems. He restores. He can do this in our lives. 
And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe today that Jesus is powerful? That he can enter in you and cleanse you for the first time? And those in him, he has the power to restore and cleanse those plagued and tortured. And he can do that. And then us in him, how much more can he redeem us, renew us, and restore us, and cleanse us, and increasingly bring new life and new devotion in our hearts and life toward him? He is powerful, and he can meet each of us where we are today. And this, this story, this true story that happened then, is a very present thing today. Jesus is still God, and he is as powerful today as he was then. And he can restore, and he can cleanse, and he can renew, and he can clothe us in his righteousness, and he can bring us to our right mind to see this world and to see things clearly as he made us to see them. And so the the scriptures would tell us, do not refuse and rebel, do not run from him, but run toward him and you will find healing. So Jesus is powerful and we see this in two miracles. One, casting out and two, the restoration of a man. And then the third thing that we see in the text is that Jesus must be proclaimed. We see that he is, he is God, that he is powerful and he must be proclaimed. So we see that the herdsmen fled And they told what had happened. And we don't know quite why they were so fearful or what all was happening. But the people came to see what had happened. But when they saw what had happened, they saw that he'd he'd taken a... And and I'm going to guess that there was a huge prophet here that was just straight lost. And they were afraid. Because what is this guy going to do when he casts out demons? He has the power to do this. They, They were saying, we're ruined. Their, their money, their hope, their, their future was all in the prophet and, and in the life that they had made for themselves. And they were seeing a man that could, could at, the, at, at his voice, make all of that go away. They were afraid. So they asked Jesus to depart from the regions, again, for prophets and because of fear. But then the healed man begs Jesus to let him go with him. I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of, hey, Jesus, can we just be boys, and can we hang out, and can we go from place to place to place? I, I just really like to be by your side. I mean, have you ever felt like that? Like, I wish that Jesus was just here, and he was, like, with me and, like, telling me what to do next. So just so you know he is, that the Jesus that I spent time with this week in preparation can reveal to me the truth of this because he was there. He was present. That he actually saw those 2,000 go over the... He, he commanded it. That Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. The disciples lived lives of superhuman ability not because they simply believed Jesus died for them. They lived lives of superhuman ability because they they believed Jesus lived inside of them. And that is a significantly different position in life. If Jesus just died for me, he's out there somewhere. But if Jesus is an indwelling presence, his Holy Spirit, an indwelling presence in my life, I don't have to go very far, do I? He's with me. The illustration would be like this, and you may have heard me say this before. Imagine with me if 
It's playoff season, so it's perfect. So imagine with me if I said, I'm, I'm going to start training. By the way, I did start training, doing a new workout thing. You'll hear about this a lot because I'm off and on. And I'm very sore right now. I feel like I'm about 58 years old. When I stand up, it takes me about 20 steps to, like, walk straight. And uh, so I decide, you know what? I'm, I want to play for the Cavs next year. <laughs> and I'm going to start training. Um, I'm going to start training, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go you know, find somebody to help coach me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in gear. And, and how likely do you think it would be that I would play for the Cavs next year? Not very. Okay, <clears throat> there's a chance. Okay, uh, thank you. And so, so <clears throat> I say, okay, okay, scrap that. I'm going to get Tyron Lue to coach me. I'm going to get him to coach me because he's going to win. The, we're going we're gonna to win the championship this year because they're faster. LeBron looks younger. It's going to be good. So Tyron, he could do it, right? What do you think if he coached me, could I do it? No, probably not. What if LeBron coached me? I went up to his gym, lived in his house, hung out, drank his Sprite, did all the stuff that he does. (laughs) Could I then? No. What if LeBron James lived inside of me? What 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 if LeBron James lived inside of Ryan Johnston? What would I be capable of? I mean, I would monster dunk it on everybody in the world, and it would be amazing. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God lives inside of you. And you have been set free, and you have been redeemed, and you are capable of unbelievable things because of the one who resides in you. It is not enough just to believe. It is not enough just to simply believe that Jesus came, that he is the Son of God. That is demon faith, and demon faith will not save you. But to trust and place your faith in the one who died for you on the cross and who will indwell you with his presence and live out of you in this world. See, this is real saving faith. And what happens when this happens in our life but what happens is there's this point in time that, that I, I place my faith in Jesus, and, and it's what happens to this man. He goes, go out now and tell all the ten cities, this huge region of the good works that I've done inside of you. When we are truly redeemed, when we're truly radically changed, we must tell people about it. I mean, Jesus has done a great work inside of Ryan Johnston's heart. I have been set free. I have been made new. And now I must tell people about this great Savior of mine. This is really good news. And what's so hard for us as church people, maybe people, some of you that have been in church maybe your whole life, is the good news just isn't that good a news anymore to you for some reason. And I don't know what it is about me. Maybe it was 22 years old, running and rebelling from God. And some of you, it's good. I mean, you've, you've maybe been around godly things your whole life, never done craziness. I don't know. I did. And I can't believe he saved me. I can't believe he's renewed me. And I, I have to tell people. And this isn't a pastor thing. This is a person who's been changed thing. So he sends him out to tell the good news. And just as the Father has sent him, he is sending us to go and tell To be people that cannot be silent about the peace that they've received. The one in whom they worship. The one who has brought them joy. The one they desire to work for their whole life until they see him face to face. 
We must proclaim the good news of what has happened in our hearts and lives. I was a worshiper of self, and now I am a worshiper of God. I was tortured by my sin and my conscience and my rebellion, and he has set me free and is cleansing and redeeming and restoring and making new. I thought I was strong, but I was so weak. But in him, he has made me strong and capable and able to do far more exceedingly than I could ever think, dream, or imagine. I was alone and helpless, and he brought me into his family and made me his child and surrounded me with a host of other brothers and sisters and whom I am now a part of a heavenly, eternal family forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He has done great things. John 10.10 says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life abundant. This man experienced in a very physical and really real way the stealing, the killing, and the destruction of the evil one. But I would guess if we were to really all be honest, we've all felt the presence of the stealing, and the killing, and the destruction. It may be at your job, it may be with friends, it may be in your marriage, it may be with your kids, it may be with the hard, broken things of this world. But I'll tell you this, and I believe it, and this man believed it, and I believe most of you do, that in Christ, there is an abundant life that is not some distant island that no one, no one has ever been to. It's not this fake, unreal thing. There is a real, abundant life that he has for each of us in this room. And this abundant life isn't a life full of riches and wealth and nice cars and big houses. If that were so, the disciples would have been living fat and large on like really nice camels and, you know, whatever they would have been doing. I, I think of it like uh, there's a, I don't know why I'm going to go down this road. Anyway, uh, Marshawn Lynch, there's this video of him riding a, a camel after he retired it's like the disciples. If that would have been it, he had big gold chains on. He was riding it anyway. If no one's a football fan. You don't know what I'm talking about. And you don't appreciate Marshawn Lynch. And so, but, but that wasn't the case. The abundant life is something deeper inside the soul. It's something that in, even in the midst of trial and struggle, there's peace. Of knowing that, that I have a God in heaven who loves me. And I have a God in heaven who is powerful. And no matter what happens to me in this earth, I will overcome because I have him. And this is true. And so this morning, the question that we have to ask ourselves is not, are we in a culture full of demon-possessed people? That's, that's not what this text is about. And there's some realities and some revelation about what that looks like in this text. But this text is about that we have a God who came in the flesh through his son named Jesus, who was very God, of very God walking in this world. And the text also displays how powerful he is over the evil forces and, again, over the created things in this world. And he is a God who will deeply transform, who will clothe us in his righteousness, and he will give us 
a right mind to live in this world. If you've never submitted your life to Jesus, today would be a great day to be clothed in his righteousness and to let him begin to shape you to have a right mind to live in his ways in this world. For those who have believed, today would be a great day to worship him for clothing you and giving you a right mind to live out his ways for his honor and for his glory in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness. We thank you that you, you're more powerful. There's no wind, there's no wave, there's no evil force that is more powerful than you. Jesus, we believe that you are God. We believe that you reside in us when we place our full faith and confidence in you. And so, Lord, help us to increasingly bring all of our life underneath your authority that we might live in the abundance of life in the depths of our soul that you created us. Lord, help us to see reality. And Lord, help us to see the evil around us in this world and to run and flee from it and to pursue you and to see you in all things. Jesus, forgive us for at times making making too much of the evil that's around us in this world and not making as much of you. Lord, forgive us of our fear of those things. Lord, help us to place all of our faith and confidence in you. And so, Lord, for each and every person here, wherever they are, Lord, I pray that you would, you would shine your face on them, that those who have never believed and place their faith and confidence in you, Lord, help them to do that. Help them move beyond the faith of what we saw in a demon and move to making you Lord over every part of their life. And in that, Lord, that you would heal them and restore them and cleanse them and make them new. For those, Lord, that have placed faith, Lord, I pray that you would move us into your ways. Help us to proclaim, to shout it from the mountains, this great thing that you have done of setting us free, of bringing us into a family, of making us worshipers of you, and ones that live for the great glory of our God and King. Jesus, we believe that you reside in us to use us for your purposes. And now as we worship, help us to reflect and respond. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.